Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. My name is Malcolm Hawker. I'm the host of the CDO Matters podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I can't believe this is our 34th episode already. It could be the 33rd or 35th, maybe that we uh, stagger the releases, but around there. Uh, I can't believe we've already done that many episodes of the podcast. I sincerely and truly hope that you as a data leader, as a chief data officer, CDAIO, CDAO, whatever the acronym is that you use, uh, if you're a data leader or aspiring data leader, data manager, data steward, somebody who lives and breathes in data like me, maybe you're an analyst, maybe you're a consultant. Um, welcome. Thank you for being here. I sincerely hope you're getting value from these podcasts. I launched this podcast over a year ago with the goal of increasing the tenures of chief data officers or people who want to be chief data officers. I want to empower data people. I want to change how we manage data. I want to drive, help you drive value for your organizations. That's why we did this podcast. Uh, just over a year ago, looking back, I had just joined Prophecy uh, uh, from Gartner, where I was a Gartner analyst, where I had the honor of talking to literally thousands, plural, thousands of data leaders about their challenges day in and day out, about what was working, about what wasn't working. That was, man, that was just such an awesome job. Um, my thank you to, to Gartner and all of my peers at Gartner for that amazing, unbelievable, incredible experience. It was, it was something I will always, always cherish. Um, I did end up leaving the position. Um, I, I learned a ton about myself in the process. I learned a ton about what it takes just kind of mentally and physically to be talking all day, every day with senior business executives. Um, it's both an incredible, unbelievable honor, but but it's also, it was actually, actually kind of kind of draining, especially for, brace yourselves on this one, uh, a Myers-Briggs introvert. Um, I, I am a Myers-Briggs introvert, which means that interacting with others and interfacing with others and talking with others, while I enjoy it, uh, while I find it incredibly rewarding, while it's my job. It is literally my job, um, and that's what I get paid to do. But it does draw energy from me. That's what a, a Myers-Briggs introvert means, is that it kind of draws energy from me. It doesn't provide energy to me. We probably all know most senior leaders are, are, are E's in, in Myers-Briggs parlance, the, the ENTJ. I'm, I'm more of an INTJ. They're ENTJs, which means they, they gain energy from interacting with people. And these are people who, who want to be around others. And if there's a company event or maybe, a, you know, like a company meeting, the first thing they want to do is go find people and interact with people. And the more time they spend with people, the more energized they get. Um, that's not me. Um, I, I'm the opposite. I need my fortress of solitude. I need, I need to escape to my, my, you know, my ice cave uh, at the end of the day. Uh, wasn't that Superman's? It was made of ice, was it not? That, that's the metaphor here in case you're wondering. Like, What's he saying? Ice cave. I, I thought he was Canadian. Does he live in an ice cave? No, I live in Florida. Um, but you get my point. 
Um, that was one of the bigger reasons why I left Gartner. Another bigger reason we're going to talk about today uh, in a lot more detail on this podcast. You'll notice I don't have any guests with me today. Uh, that's cool because what I'm about to share, um, well, I mean, it's not, it's not cool. It's not uncool. It just is what it is. Uh, because what I'm about to share uh, really comes from right here, uh, the noggin in here. And, and I believe that I'm the best person to speak on the things that I'm going to be talking on today. So that's why this is a solo effort, as it were. A um, couple more housekeeping things. Uh, by the time you watch this, it'll probably be close to the end of September, if not the beginning of October. Um, I'm on the verge of doing a lot of speaking this fall. My goodness, um, I am literally traveling the planet again. I did it in the spring and I'm going to be doing it again this fall 2023. Uh, a number of conferences. I'm doing the IDMA, the Insurance Data Managers Association uh, conference in Philadelphia in October. I am doing DGIQ, Data Governance and Information Quality, the East Conference in DC in December. I'm doing the IRM, Enterprise Data uh, Conference in London in early November. I'm doing Enterprise Data World in late September in Los Angeles. Smattering in between there, I'm traveling through about um, seven or eight different cities, including some in Europe, where we are partnering with Microsoft uh, to hold these technical briefings related to uh, MDM and the Microsoft Fabric. So we'll be talking uh, with local data leaders in uh, Dallas, Houston, Toronto, Chicago, Boston, Munich, London, and forgive me if I've forgotten one, uh, but I'm going to be a busy uh, data evangelist uh, this fall. And if you're in any one of those cities that I listed off, whether it's through a conference or one of these briefings, um, I would love to see you. Uh, check out prophecy.com. Uh, within our, our website, we've got details on events. If, if any of the cities that I listed off, you're there and you would love to talk about data or data fabrics or MDM or data governance or data strategy, spend a day in a Microsoft technology center. These buildings are unbelievable. If you've ever, if you've ever been to one, it's where uh, Microsoft holds a lot of local client meetings. They hold their, a lot of their technology briefings, which is exactly what we're, we're going to be doing this fall in partnership with Prophecy or with, with Microsoft, and of course, Prophecy, my employer. Um, so that's one of the housekeeping items. Um, would love to see you this fall. And maybe you're going to be attending one of those industry events, which would be cool as well. Uh, so that's housekeeping um, item number one. Uh, the other housekeeping item, um, I don't ask for this often, but if you like the content, if you've checked out the podcast before, um, please subscribe. Uh, subscribe through, you know, if you're if you're catching us just on on audio, obviously the the you know the Spotify's and Google's uh, uh, Apple Podcasts of of the world, uh, that would be great. Or maybe just subscribe through YouTube. YouTube, we do stick these uh, online, obviously, where you get to see the full <laughs> the, the full experience here, uh, as as it were. Uh, and and thank you for that. So it would be it would be. It would be really neat if you could uh, uh, subscribe, and I guess like all the usual stuff, like hitting like buttons and all and all the rest of it. Um, I'm not here to be liked. Um, uh, I, I'm here to help. Uh, and if, but if you do hit the like, that would suggest that you're getting value from this, and that that would be that would be good to know because I would love to continue to do this. So, um, but again, I'm not here to drive clicks or you know uh, drive you know add revenue through any of these platforms. That's not my thing. My, my thing is here is, is to be here to help. So let's talk about that a little bit more. 
forgive me, it's still coffee hour here and I'm going to be uh, taking some coffee. If you're checking me out on um, YouTube, you will you will notice a minor change to my studio environment here. I have a, a splatter screen <laughs> in front of my mic. Uh, one of my one of my coworkers said that I was really giving punchy peas and it was wrecking our audio. Um, so I got a splatter screen. Yeah, this this thing here. That's what that's supposed to do. Ho hopefully it, uh, it it does that. Uh, in the coming months, non sequitur. In the in the coming months, I, I do hope that we'll improve some of the video quality here as well. Um, this is my home office. It's a little tiny office here in my my home in our little beach hut um, in, in East Central Florida. But hopefully, I'm going to be upgrading the video experience. Um, the video platform we use compresses this video significantly, and I'd, I'd I'd love to get just slightly higher video quality. But anyway, so to today's topic. And why did I opine at the beginning about uh, my experience at, at Gartner? And, and you may have heard in, in multiple episodes in the past, I mean, I've shared some of my anecdotes about, about why I left Gartner and, and what I'm trying to do here at, at Prophecy and, and, and the help that I'm trying to give. I think it would be appropriate to say that I did get slightly frustrated at Gartner, not because I was having to be extroverted all day, every day, um, but part of my frustration at Gartner, and you may have heard this in, in previous podcast episodes, I know I expressed this recently when talking with uh, Bill Schmarzo and Alison Sagraves both, was a certain degree of frustration, I think that's the right word, on, on sharing what we know are best practices and sharing what we know works uh, for data leaders, like things like focusing on value and things like prioritization and things like building out the team and, and things like, you know, how to improve your culture and data governance and all these other best practices, the things that I talk about day in and day out on this podcast and on LinkedIn, by the way, if you're not connected with me on LinkedIn, please do, please reach out. would love to connect. I'm sharing anecdotes, insights, best practices, advice almost every day on LinkedIn, four times a week, five times a week. Um, so I would be sharing these insights uh, and, and advice at, at Gartner, and, and it was pretty rare uh, that I would have the ability to talk to data leaders who were actually implementing a lot of those. Um, and, and a lot of the things that we knew were working were not getting implemented. And, and I kept wondering why, 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 why do we still struggle with some of the things that we've always struggled with? And then I would step back and I would kind of look at broadly at the space. I'm waving my hands. You can't see that. Uh, if you're listening on, on Apple Podcasts, I'm waving my hands <laughs> kind of goofily here about the space. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's, you know, the space meaning the industry, software vendors, uh, consultants, uh, analysts, and, and practitioners. That's kind of the way that I lo would look at the space. Those, those kind of four groups. And I knew what, what I was saying as an analyst. I knew the advice that I was giving and, and I would look at the vendors and vendors were for the, for the most part, basically just saying what the analysts would say. Sorry, it's true. Uh, analysts can most certainly drive agendas because the more that analysts talk about things, the more that vendors talk about things. And the more that analysts and vendors talk about things, the more that customers will talk about things because that's, and the more that consultants will talk about things. So there's this kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy here that the more that the analysts are talking about certain topics or certain issues, the more they tend to become real. But from a best practice perspective, from an advice perspective, I, I took a step back and I, and, I, and I asked myself, okay, we still have a lot of things that we're struggling with. 
Um, we're still struggling with things like quantifying business value. We're still struggling with governance. My goodness gracious, we're still struggling, even though we know it's important. Um, we're still struggling with data quality um, and, and on and on and on. So I stepped back and I just kind of looked at what the, you know, what others were saying from a best practice and guidance perspective. And what I found was a lot of same old, same old. I've been in this space a long time, 20 plus years. And the things that we're saying now, as true as they often are, are the same things we were saying 20 years ago. And I look at how things have changed from a technology perspective, from a business perspective, just from a social perspective, heavens, across so many things, things have changed. We live in a world of constant disruption. Uh, we live in a world now where we never would have even imagined war in Europe. We, we live in a world of increasing amounts of debt and, and devaluation of currencies and supply chain disruptions and pandemics and so many things have changed. But so much of what we advise as analysts and consultants and as vendors uh, hasn't really changed that much in the data world. And, and, and I think there's a, a number of reasons for that. And that I do think that we have a little bit of a self-reinforcing loop going on here. I, I talked about that before. But I do think that there's a little bit of self-reinforcing here in, in that we keep trying to pound a lot of square nails into round holes. And we know that the advice we're giving is good. We, we, we know that, right? Like focus on value. That's, that's, like, that's like fortune cookie stuff, right? Of course, we're focused on value. That's good. And we can even go into more detail about how to do that. And how to do things like build business cases and, and ROI analysis, Kager analysis, all sorts of other analysis. Pick your, pick your financial flavor, how you, however you want to do that. And we can go into details about what you know, kind of good looks like from a, from a recommendation perspective. And we keep recommending it. And we keep recommending it. We keep recommending it. And we know it's good. And we get a little frustrated. So we keep recommending it more <laughs> and more and more. And I started to see a few things um, evolve out of this. And I started to, to, to look at things a little bit differently while I was still at Gartner and certainly over the last year. Some of this frustration, I think, that I certainly was feeling was, as an analyst and that I know that I was feeling as a practitioner, right? Like this idea of why don't why doesn't the business focus on data quality? Why they just they they and now we hear this all the time at Gartner, all the time. They just don't get it. Why are they trying to make our jobs harder? Right? Why don't they care about data quality? We care so much about data quality. Why don't they care? Why don't they care? Why don't they get it? Why aren't they doing these things? Why aren't they focused on the basics? Right? Why are data scientists wasting 80% of their time on data quality issues? So these these kind of sentiments. That I, that, that I was feeling at Gartner, that in many ways, in many ways, I, I believe now in retrospect, I was amplifying when I should have been squelching them. I, I, I think I, I had good intentions. I had positive intentions. But I think in many ways, some of these mindsets I was actually amplifying. And some of the advice I believe that we were giving actually amplified some of these mindsets of what I could be largely viewed as us versus them. 
right? Us being the data people, the people that get it, the people that care, the people that are working hard to allow us to be data-driven and who doesn't want to be data-driven? It's actually even part of our strategy. We talk about being data-driven. Who doesn't want to be data-driven? And I'm the one that is trying to push this giant rock up the hill and the business just keeps pushing the rock back down on me over and over and over again. And that's certainly some of the frustration I heard when I was a Gartner analyst talking with literally thousands of CDOs. It's certainly some of the frustration I was feeling um, you know, so that you have practitioners frustrated, you have analysts frustrated. I think the vendors are less so, right, of course, because they just want to sell software. And I think the consultants, to a certain degree, I know upwards of 50% of my audience is consultants, but I think I think it's right for consultants to take a look back and say, okay, well, how much are you trying to fix that or how much are you trying to exploit that? And what I mean by that is some of those frustrations, the us versus them. Put all of this together, put it in a pot, <laughs> make stew. And I've come to the conclusion that we've got some challenges related to mindset. I will just loosely call mindset. And I think, my dear listeners and viewers, I think that these problems and this mindset and the problems that the mindset causes have a lot to do with short CDO tenures. I think they have a lot to do with our inability to drive value. I think they have a lot to do with the fact that many of our customers do not view us in a positive light. And I want to explore this topic more deeply. And I want to start talking about what it would mean to become a more modern data leader. What would it mean to, to, to evolve past a mindset of us versus them? What would that mean to us? How do we do that? If that is in fact a problem, I would love to discuss it more with you. I'm going to have, the, I'm going to have lots of discussions on this on, on LinkedIn. You can certainly add comments onto you know, YouTube and, and, and uh, um, if that's how you're consuming this content. But I want to explore this concept more because I, I'm starting to believe that there are a number of things that are really holding us back and I want to eliminate those because I am sincere in my desire to assist. I am sincere in my desire to extend your tenure, to make you a better data leader to the degree that this advice helps. I do know, I do know, I don't know if the advice helps. <laughs> I hope it does. Uh, I don't know if it helps, but I do know I do know with certainty, the same old, same old, same old, the finger waving, the business doesn't get it, the uh, a lot of the old mindsets and a lot of the old ways of thinking, I do know with certainty, they're not helping. They are most certainly not helping. So let's talk more about what would it mean to be a little bit more modern? What are some things that we should maybe be thinking about as data leaders. I'll list some of these off. This is this came off a LinkedIn post that I made, but but I think I'm going to write a book here. Maybe it'll start with a small kind of ebook and maybe evolve in time. Um, maybe I'll have to clone myself in order to do it. <laughs> maybe I could use AI to help do that. Uh, well, not write the book. I wouldn't do that. Well, no, probably I wouldn't. Yeah, I just I just wouldn't. I'm an artisan when it comes to this stuff. Uh, but maybe I can help AI, AI can help me clone myself so I have more time to do it. But anyway, what would topic of today's discussion that was a long lead in, man, I've been rambling for a good 20 minutes 
as you know, I, I do. If you ever watch me on our live sessions in the last Friday of every month, or if you've ever listened to podcasts, I tend to ramble a little. Anywho, what would it mean to be more modern when it comes to data leadership? Number one, let's talk about data quality. Um, a modern data leader would see the refinement of data, and I like that term, refinement. I like the oil metaphor here as well, right? Taking it from some raw state or unusable state to, to refining it. Because we know that the, the, the raw the raw stuff coming out of the ground has great value and we're just going to make it even greater. So it's not a, it's bad and it's crap, which is kind of today's perception of data. Because when we use the phrase data quality, the opposite of data quality is poor quality, good quality, bad quality, black, white. That's not really how data exists. Data exists in various states of fit for purposeness. Sometimes it's really fit for an operational purpose as it exists in a CRM system or an ERP system or a digital marketing system, or maybe as some entry in a, in a weblog somewhere, uh, who knows, right? As just one little chunk of transactional data coming off an IOT sensor somewhere, but anywhere that data is fit for a certain purpose, right? So sometimes it's fit for that purpose. And sometimes the quality is good. Often it's fit for an operational purpose, but it may not be fit for an analytical purpose. So think about that. Right, right now, today, when we talk about data quality, we just kind of lump everything into this bucket of data quality and we say that it's poor data quality. Well, what does that mean? I think at a high level, often what that means for us as data people, especially those who are focused on the analytical side of the house and building reports and data science and insights off of the data, data quality for us means, okay, is it fit for an analytical purpose? When the data coming out of the ground, as it were, using the, the oil metaphor, when the data is fit for an, coming from the source is fit for an operational purpose. Right there, that split, right? That split for us to say, well, it's low quality. When is perfectly good for the business? When is perfectly good for our customers? When is perfectly good for issuing an invoice or recognizing revenue or sending an email or any other business process that our customers are measured on? What is good for those purposes, but not good for an analytical purpose, we call it low quality. Well, right there, when we do that, we put up a barrier. We put up a barrier that creates an us versus them. We put up a barrier that says, we're going to make a judgment on this data and say it's bad. When in fact, to our customers, it may be perfectly fine. It may be associated to successful transactions. Maybe delivered goods, happy customers, who knows? For our, for our customers, for our internal customers, that data could be perfect. But if we have to spend a lot of time normalizing it or changing it or concatenating it or doing something else to it, maybe even stewarding it, maybe even applying human oversight to it, we will say it's bad. This divide, folks, this divide, related to data quality, I think is part of our mindset challenge. So this idea that it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. The data quality is bad. What the, what the business is making it harder for me. The, the data sucks. The quality is low. When in fact, it may be perfectly good. This is a problem. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. So a modern data leader would say, 
the opportunity to refine the data, to put it in a place where it could be used cross-functionally in analytics or data science or AI or my dashboard or my anything else, the opportunity to do that, to refine that data, that's an opportunity. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity, not a burden. Today, for a lot of data leaders, if you talk to them, it sounds like a burden. That's what I heard over and over and over and over again at Gartner. And I hear it almost every day on LinkedIn. The burden of low quality data. Woe is me. Why is the business making my job harder? The business is trying to excite customers, build products, be more efficient, innovate. The business has positive intentions. So this is number two. A modern data leader would build a team and a data culture and a team culture that views the business as having positive intentions. I don't know. I, and I was on the business side for a number of years. I led a product organization. I was a chief product officer. I didn't know anybody that worked for me or anybody that I hired or anybody that I interfaced with that was purposely trying to make data bad. <laughs> I just didn't. I mean, it didn't. We were, we, were, we were trying to build products. We were trying to support customers. We were trying to meet our SLAs. We were trying to deliver stuff on time. We weren't trying to make data leaders' jobs or lives harder. Our intentions were good. And often, not even just a matter of good intention, often we were killing it. We were delivering products. We were innovating. We were supporting customers. We were efficiently operating. So again, this idea that that could yield bad, that all of those things, right? Like that working hard and, 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 and delivering goods and supporting customers and everything that, that our business partners do day in and day out. If we assume they have positive intentions, that's a paradigm shift because today I don't, I don't hear a lot of that. I, don't, I, I honestly, guys, I just don't hear a lot of it. What I hear is it's a burden. They're making my job harder. So our customers, the people who consume our insights, our analytics, our data, have positive intentions. Modern data leaders will push that mindset within their organizations. That'll be a foundation of the organizations that modern data leaders build. Because if you think that people have positive intentions, if you think your customers have positive intentions, you're not going to sit back and build this wall between you and them. You're not going to say, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? You won't be a victim to what is perceived as poor data. You will be enabled by it because that's job security. <laughs> if you have to spend a lot of time fixing data, it's not a burden. It's an opportunity. So notice number three here. Notice um, I am trying consciously, consciously to use the word customer. Because I believe that modern data leaders put customers at the center of everything they do. And they use the word customer as often as they can. And trust me, folks, even I find myself falling back into old ways. We use the phrases stakeholders and users and, and uh, end users and the business. That's my favorite the business, this, this, this kind of nebulous, the business. That doesn't really kind of humanize who we're trying to support. And we should, 
because these are people. These are customers. These are, these, are, these are consumers of our insights, our analytics, our data science, our reports, our dashboards. These are people. And they are our customers. So I would advocate as much as you can as a data leader to make and weave the notion of customer into everything you do and put customer at the center of everything you do. That would necessarily mean, I think, that you should start looking at things through the lens of products, okay? Because customers consume products and or services. Maybe a separate podcast to talk about the difference between products and services. Let's not get hung up on that right now. I do understand that there is a fundamental difference between a product and a service. You own one, the other one you, you're basically buying access to. Just Let's just put that aside for now. But your products are, your customers are consuming products. Does this mean that you slap a data product label on something and call it good? No, that doesn't mean anything in and of itself. On the surface, a data product just doesn't mean anything. Um, but I, I see a lot of people doing that. What I mean here is the integration of product management into data management, into what you do day in and day out as a data leader, right? Putting customers at the center of everything you do. This would include things like user-centric design, customer-centric design, customer feedback, customer surveys, all the things that you experience day in, day out as a consumer of stuff. You know when you've had a positive customer experience and you know when you've had a bad one. What did that positive customer experience look like? How do you integrate some of those processes into your processes as a data leader? You don't have to remake the wheel here. This is not something net new. This is product management. Product managers do this stuff for a living. And notice, I'm not saying product owners or data owners. We need to dispatch with the word ownership. You don't own the data. You don't. As much as you, you could give somebody a, a label of a data owner, they don't own the data. What does data ownership even mean? There are five, if you ask me, there are five attributes of ownership. <laughs> people who create it, people who it refers to, people who govern it, people who manage it, people who sell it. Who, who's the owner? When you slap a, a label of owner, again, this is an us and them. I own. Can you imagine you hire somebody or me? Let's just to say that I'm anointed the data owner of customer data at Acme Incorporated. And I'm the first day on the job and I'm going to go talk to my stakeholders. And I glibly use the word stakeholders and not customers. We should look at them as customers. But I'm on day one, Acme Incorporated, and I am now the new data owner of customer data. And I sit down with the chief revenue officer and say, hi, I own your customer data. Is that a great way to start a conversation? No, <laughs> it's rhetorical. It's not. It's not a good way. You could maybe stay instead. Hey, listen, I've been given responsibility to ensure the governance policies that you and I collaborate on are enforced on this data because we have a mutually beneficial outcome when we do that. I'm here to steward the data or shepherd the data or support your business through the lens of better data. But I'm not going to sit down and say, I own your data. Good luck with that, by the way, <laughs> if you do. right? I, like, I've done that. I've said that. I've been the person at the other end of the table looking at a senior vice president of sales saying, I own their data. 
it doesn't make for a productive meeting. It immediately will put your customers on the defensive. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, wait a minute. Hold on. You're, you're saying I own the data. You're, you own customer. Oh, do you? I'm the one out there talking to them every day. Now you're telling me you own them? This is an example. The, the idea of data ownership. And yes, folks, I know, Dama, data ownership. This is the same old, same old. It's not working. It's not working. It's not. Ask anybody who's, are they succeeding at governance? Is this model working for you? Is the Dama wheel working for you? Maybe in some regards, but chances are no. Research after research after research shows that governance is a huge issue for companies. So let's try something different. Instead of saying data ownership, I own the data. Instead of saying and creating a wall, and a division between us and them, we own, you do what you do on the business side. Take a customer-centric view. Take a product-centric view. How can I help you today? Customer, how do I help you be better? How do I help data enable better decision-making? How can I do that? I'm not here as an owner. I'm here as an enabler. I want to build better products for you, customer. Customer is at the center of everything you do. And there's example after example after example. There will be more content on this, by the way. I'm just picking on data ownership. That's what, that, to me, that's a layup of an example of a wall between us and them. We need dispatch with this. Stop using that phrase. Product manager. I'm a data product manager. Or maybe a data steward or data custodian. It's fine. We can use those words if we want to. But I'm an owner. <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, and if you are doing it that way, it's not, I, I get it. There's a lot of people who have been telling you to do it that way, but step back and ask, okay, is it really working? Which kind of dovetails, when we start talking about product management, a modern data leader would not see the low adoption of their products, the complaints about their products, they would not see the inability of their products to deliver business value. They would not see any of these things as customer failures. They wouldn't see them as a result of low customer skills. They would see them as a result of a product failure. I failed to meet my customer's needs. My product does, my customer doesn't like my product. My customer is returning my product. My customer is complaining about my product. My customer is not using the product. My customer may, be, may even be going to somebody else to get a, a comparable, comparable product from somebody else, even if mine's free. My customer may not trust my product, may question it, may question its accuracy, its validity, its usefulness. If this is happening, and it probably is in some regard, some level, if this is happening, is that a result of low user skills? Is that, a, is that a result of a skills gap? No, probably not. It's probably a fact that the product itself is problematic, that the data is weak, the data is incorrect, the data is worthy of questioning, the data is not consistent. So if your customers don't like your products, then there's a problem with your product. 
not the customers. Do we need to train our customers? Of course we do. Do we need to make sure that they know what the right tool is for the right job? Of course we do. But I challenge the very notion of this idea of data literacy because it turns everything around. It turns what should be a product problem and a product challenge, product opportunity, into something about the consumers, into their skills, into their knowledge. And we should look first inwards before we look outwards. This is another attribute of a modern data leader. We need to look inside before we look outside. Have we done everything that we can to make sure this product is trustworthy and accurate and usable and well-designed and intuitive and all of these things? Have we, have we kept the customer at the center of everything we, we do? Have we done robust interviews? Have we made sure the technology is correct? Have we done everything that we possibly can to make sure that is the best possible product, that that is the best fit for the need, that it's easy to use? All of these things. If the answer is no to any of those questions, focus there first. Look inward. Look at what we do, how we do it, before we look outward. If we exhaust all of that, if we exhaust all of that introspection, and we are 100% confident that this is simply a lack of training, well, then focus on training. But don't make that the primary thing. Don't start with the assumption that the training is the issue, that user skills are the issue. Don't start with that. Look in before you look out. Oh, I'm passionate about this stuff, guys. I really, really am. And I'm going to keep talking about this because I, I think there may be something here. If you disagree, uh, please let me know. Other attributes of a modern data leader. Now, this is maybe going to be a long podcast. I'm coming up on 45 minutes, but anyway, shocker. Um, other attributes of a modern data leader. Well, they measure value. And, and they measure value because it's important because that's why we're here. If we're not here to drive business value and business outcomes, then what's the point? A modern data leader would measure that, would make a connection between data and business value. And they would even go so far as to say, I would like to be compensated based on the business outcomes that I drive. I would like to find a way for my business KPIs or my KPIs in the data world to be linked to business KPIs. That's how I would like to be compensated. That's what a modern data leader would say is tie my performance to business performance. Now, I can hear you saying, Malcolm, why would I do that? Because I can't control that. Why would I do that? Because I can't control that. You would do that because that's what's best for the company. I know this takes leadership. I know this takes bravery, but you got to do it. I made a post today on LinkedIn talking about the sixth annual CDO survey that Gartner produced that showed the data leaders that focus on data quality, CDOs that focus on data quality are 43% less likely to drive value for their business. Yet, more than half of CDOs are actually measured on data quality KPIs. Rock, hard place. This is a perfect example. This is the answer of why you wanna focus on business outcomes. CDOs succeed and drive value for their organizations when they focus on outcomes, not on data quality. Yet, so many CDOs are, are measured on data quality. But how do we pivot that? 
Well, you change it from the measure of being data quality. And when we chase data quality, it's less effective for the entire business, but that's why we're here. When we chase data quality, 43% less likely to drive business value. Instead, chase business value, chase business outcomes. Have that be the metric. Have that be the way that you're measured as a modern data leader. This is a win-win. Better for you because it's driving value for the organization. So I would argue in many ways that the fear of being tied to things you can't control is actually shortening your tenures. Step out on that limb and be willing to tie your performance to business performance. When you do that, so many good things will happen. Instead of being focused on data quality and all of the things that go into creating data quality frameworks and data cleanups and all the data governance related to data quality with poor definition of scope, because if you're not measuring value, how do you prioritize? And we know that most don't measure value. So instead of being kind of just broadly focused on this nebulous idea of data quality, which we also know is not benchmarked well at all, focus on the outcomes. Use the outcomes to limit your scope. Use the outcomes to limit what governance you're focusing on and what governance you're not focusing on. It makes you more efficient. It increases the likelihood that you will produce good outcomes. It ties you to specific high priority, high visibility business initiatives. And it's good for the company. Win-win. Measure. And be willing to be compensated on those measures as they relate to business outcomes, not data quality outcomes, and on and on. Speaking of governance, a modern data leader would view and manage data governance as a business enablement function, not a change management function, a business enablement function. Again, I can hear many of you say, well, data governance is in essence change management. Okay, <laughs> fine. You're going to set some baseline rules and then you're going to measure, you know, you're going to monitor against changes to anything. It's a, I get it. It is a change management function, but the mindset, remember, we're going back to mindset, the us versus them. What we need to do is to consider governance as an enablement function. Measure the business impact of governance and focus on governance through the lens of enablement, business priorities, business outcomes, business enablement. Pivot governance from a, from a must-do, and I'm hearing this every day, it's how do we shift from the defense to the offense? The way you do that is to look at governance through the lens of a business enablement function. More content to come here, more content to come. Lastly, challenge the status quo. Ask why. When you keep hearing the same best practices over and over and over, yet you also see that things aren't changing that much, start asking why. Challenge the status quo. Be a leader. Go break some stuff. Question the notion of data first or being data-driven or data-led. Being data-driven was never about the data. It wasn't. Being data-driven was about the business, our customers, 
using data to make decisions, fact-based decision-making. That that's what it's about. So for our customers being data-driven, I think that's a reasonable aspiration. But for us, the problem, the problem with being data-driven is that we took it. We took it as not only the guidepost, the North Star for our customers, we took it as our North Star. Meaning we put data at the center of everything. Data is important. Data is the most important thing. It's not. For us, it's not. It's the customer. It's the customer. You don't hear a lot of manufacturing companies out there talking about being ingredient or material or part focused. Data is a raw material to our manufacturing plant. Yes, quality matters. Yes, process matters. All those things matter. Excellence in those things do matter. But you don't hear manufacturing companies or product-centric companies talking about how they are ingredient-driven. You will hear some people talk about the quality of the ingredients. That's a separate thing. But it's not about the ingredients. It's about the customers. It's about the customers. I see a lot, a lot more, you know, like the AI and the garbage in, garbage out. We need to focus on the data, focus on the data, focus on the data. Focus on the customers. Focus on creating a product the customers want to use and would otherwise be willing to pay for. Focus on customers. Focus on customers. Don't focus on the data. Focusing on the data means we tend to be a little introspective. Instead of starting with a business need, we start with an inventory of goods. I'd see this all the time at Gartner. I would see data leaders start with this bottom-up process. And I see this today when in discussions about data products. Instead of starting the conversation with business needs and business outcomes, what do our customers want? We start in this bottoms-up thing by looking at every nugget of data that we've got everywhere. And we do detailed profile and discovery. And we try to understand what's like the lowest level, the most minute level of kind of where can we apply a skew to? And is that a, is a field a product, a record, a attribute, a, a whatever, a table? Is that a, like we get in these drawn out conversations about what's a product? That happens when we take a data first approach. These time-wasting academic enterprises and undertakings where we spend days and hours and weeks trying to understand what is and what isn't a product is a function of a data-first mindset. Take a customer-first mindset. Ask them what they need. Ask them what their problems are. If, you, if that's your North Star, you'll work your way down. You'll figure out what data is important, what data isn't important. You'll build a solution to solve that problem. That's the product. It's that simple. It's that simple. This is not an ontology-driven exercise. This is not an inventory-driven exercise. Understanding what our customer needs does not happen by looking at our inventory of goodies. Doesn't. It doesn't. It starts by asking them what they need and what their problems are and how can we help. So. Clearly, I'm passionate. <laughs> I'm nothing but short of passion on this. 
I, I think there's something here. And, and what I mean by that is I think we have a significant opportunity, maybe even an obligation to change how we think as data leaders. Do we see data quality as a burden? Do we see product creation as this bottom-up inventory-driven enterprise? Do we see value as a metric tied to data quality or do we see value as a metric tied to business outcomes? Do we question the status quo? If we are ever gonna get past having half the tenure of CIOs, if we're gonna get past our customers doubting the quality of our output, doubting the importance of data quality, doubting the importance of the things that we do, we need to start thinking a different way because the way we've been thinking for the last 20 years isn't working. It's partially working, but it's not working to the degree that we need it to work. Our businesses are looking to us as change agents. Our businesses are looking to us to drive the digital transformation. So when you start talking about data culture, you start talking about data culture, look inwards before you look out. The data culture is not something that happens outside of us and outside of the data analytics function. It starts at home. Look inwards. Data culture starts with taking this customer-centric mindset and all the other things that I've talked about so far in this podcast today. It starts at home. Look inwards before you look outwards. Build the culture. Model the behaviors you want others to model before you ask them to model them. Be the change that you want to be, that you need to be, that you're, you want your organization to adopt. If you model those behaviors, if you deliver the value, if you put customers at the center of everything that you do, you will be more likely to see them model those changes than you would if you were simply waving your finger at them. Here ends another episode of the CDO Matters podcast. I'm so grateful. If you made it this far, wow. <laughs> Thank you. I'm honored that you have. Please join me on LinkedIn where we can continue these conversations day in and day out. Again, my thanks for your patronage. My thanks for listening. And I will see you on another episode of CDO Matters sometime very soon. Thanks all.